The Team Never Quit podcast is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Partner up with Navy Federal to pay down credit card debt. You can learn more about this at NavyFederal.org. I was in a van one day uh, leaving Bamsey. There was, you know, many of us wounded warriors in there, so to speak. And everybody was missing something. And one of the guys looked around and he said, damn, he said, all of us together make like one whole man, maybe two. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Don't buckle up, Buttercup. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. As always, thank you everyone for listening, watching, viewing, and please hit that subscribe button if you enjoy listening to our shows. So, before we dive into today's special guest, let's kick it off with our Patreon question of the day. If you were going to describe your high school experience in three words, what would they be? I hated high school. What? I loved high school. I went to four different high schools. So I, I just, I did not have a typical high school life. I, we moved around a lot. I absolutely hated high school and I could not wait to just get out in the world and be an adult. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I did. I did. That's why she's so tough. I was like, oh all right. I hated man. high school. Like, I, I, I always worked, like, at least two jobs after high school because I didn't have, I didn't go to the same school my whole high school. So I didn't have, Couldn't like, catch a friends. rhythm. Yeah, I never had a rhythm. I don't know. How about you, brother? Yeah, I grew up uh, in a community where we had a big school, but outside of the town was, like, uh, farming schools. As like one of my friends graduated with a class of like 30 people. My class, I think we were about 80, close to 80 students. Uh, anyway, one of my best friends, he was over here visiting the other day. He said he was from up north somewhere. And his graduating class, uh, there was almost 2,000 students. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'd never even heard of that. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I visit oh, yeah, people, but I guess now right? at our age, we don't always talk about hospital, uh, usually talking about military or something. But right. when that does come up, it's kind of neat to, you know, hear how people grew up. I graduated with 50 people and I, yeah, that was, it was very small, but Marcus graduated. You had like 600 people. No, I had 144. Oh, I thought you had a big school. Mm, 144. That's why you That's know a pretty everybody. big class compared to ours. Yeah. It's, it's huge now. I, yeah. grew up, I grew up in Willis, Texas, and it's world famous. And I had the best childhood. I had the most amazing experience. I, the, the people I grew up with in my town and in my school made it so much fun that people would come from other towns to hang out. That they still to, act like they're in high school. And we still act like that today. <laughs> if you run across anybody and they say that they're a wildcat, they are. <laughs> we're there's something in the water out there whatever it does to us man but we are a tight-knit crew i mean we we scratch you know we call each other and beat each other to death man but we freaking love each other and i every time our crew gets together we talk about how wonderful our childhood was growing up at that place <laughs> yeah you did have like 
And everyone knows book. it. This is not a secret. Everyone around the surrounding areas knows how much fun we had growing up. They wrote stories about it in the papers before there was even a book on me. There was. There's. Thank I, you. I actually <laughs> That's find, how you can look it up. I find <laughs> newspaper how great articles. Is that? I find newspaper articles of Marcus from high school. And I'm like, nobody I, nobody even thought about being in the paper in, when I was in high school. Like, it was just wasn't a thing. There's Marcus on the front page for jumping over four cars in, like, a karate kick or for saving some cop's life on the side of the road that he gave uh, CPR uh, to. Let me tell you something. That, that, the guys, the kids I grew up with, man, are if... I went to a graduation the other day, and I, I saw I was watching the kids up there, and they were talking about missing each other and the times that they had. When I graduated, I truly missed them, and, and that's why we still stay in touch. I may not talk to one of them, but I damn sure talk to somebody who does. Matter yeah. of fact, I heard a rumor that one of my classmates died. This is funny. Now, one of them died. I mourned his death. He showed up to the reunion, <laughs> and I even told him I thought he was dead. <laughs> I mean, so many people die around me. I just I was assumed that he had died, you know. And I, I kind of, and when he showed up, I'll never forget. He walked to the door. I was like, "Bro, I thought you were freaking dead." And he's like, <laughs> "No, right here." It's like, "Sweet, glad." Oh here, here's a beer, man. I did that with one of my classmates. I thought he was dead. Somebody told me he got uh, kicked by a bull and killed. And at least maybe that was their perception. Which is believable. What they had heard. Yeah, and then I went back home uh, to visit some folks, and anyway, they're like, "Man, we should go see Cecil," and I'm like. Cecil, I'm like, what, like visit his grave? And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I heard he was dead, man. And they're like, no, nah, bro, he's like working for the sheriff's department. I'm like, what? Oh my god. I mean, it just, I mean, you know, I spent like probably 10 years thinking the dude was dead. Hey, that doesn't find out he's that working for the sheriff's you, department. Right? <laughs> that that, oh that promotes a feeling. Yeah. If it, you know what I'm talking about? Like exactly. and actually when you fix it when your buddy dies, you find his life like that's a there's an emotion that goes with that that you'll never ever get anywhere else. So did you give him a hug? Yeah. Well hell yeah, I hugged him. Yeah. I I mean, I, I, stared, I, I kind of stared at him. I was like, damn, dude. Oh my god. <laughs> and he looked good too. He looked real good, actually. I was like, damn, I, I thought you were freaking anyways. But you, you you know, to be honest though, like that youth that we experienced in those small towns, and I think that's what shaped us though, to be who we are. And, uh, you know, growing up in a small, I'm not to say that, you know, big cities and, and bigger classes don't have their own challenges. What I'm saying is, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like listening to my friend talk about graduating 2000 people. He said, I probably knew maybe a hundred of them. And he's like, so, you know, it's like, I really wasn't connected with a lot of people. I had, you know, like a few people that were close to me, but other than that, that was it. And, uh, you know, and I, honestly, I couldn't even imagine because I feel like I knew like every person in yeah. my class and every person in the high school almost intimately and they knew me intimately right. i couldn't do anything on the weekend that somebody didn't find out oh hell no and before monday your parents, morning yeah knew who what your family did it was all well, the way we looked at it was like we were all in high school together we were just separated by age mm -hmm. like there was 144 of us that were 18 we were allowed to leave that that kind of thing same as you that's how it is in texas man it was great yeah yep. I, I freaking loved it, man. Hunter grew up. He went to the I know same a had a good school. Time, man. <laughs> he went to the same school from pre-K <laughs> to 12th. Uh, so he knew everybody very, very well. And he played sports. And they went to state his senior year. You had state a champion. great high school. They just won didn't go. State. They win it. You won state. That's right. Yes. Beat yeah. the mess out of him. What's up? Yeah. Good job, son. I was yeah. proud of you. First so did time you ever. Like your <laughs> high school, Pierce? Yeah, I, I would say that. It wasn't even just the school, but it was everything about it, like 
traveling. We did a lot of that in high school as well. Um, and just the, the friends. I mean, I still have the same friend group uh, from seventh grade, seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. And... And somehow, which I never understood, Hunter made friends with, because he went to a small private school, he made friends with all the public school kids, but it wasn't, like, interact, he didn't know them. How did you meet those people? I taught him that. that, that, that came how? Me. I, like, doesn't matter, just walk outside and start introducing, I was like, never meet a stranger? I never understood how he had so many friends that went to, not just, like, our local public schools, but all the way down in El Campo, like... There was <laughs> <laughs> through sports and uh, and parties. Yeah, it was weird. Hunter well, never meets Campbell. a stranger. Parties, don't say that. Yeah. Yeah. He's at the oh, library and he's studying, right? <laughs> he never meets a stranger. He's literally <laughs> friends with everybody he meets. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good Patreon question. All right, brother man, thanks for coming in and doing this. We got a file on, hey, on you, you and you everything. Guys for me. Yeah, you bet. You look great, by the way. Oh, thank you. I've been practicing. I stand in front of the mirror a lot, you know, making sure my hair looks good. It's a, you know, making sure all, my ears look good. I polish my little studs pretty regular. You got one of those perfect <laughs> heads, though. So I feel like you complaining about not having hair is not a thing for you guys. Some of y'all have that. perfect. Well, mine's shaved down. It doesn't look right. I, my, it just doesn't. I don't know. I got too many dents from falling down mountains and crap like that, but you got one of them perfect domes. So. Axe asked me the other day what you would look like with a buzz cut. I look mean as mean, dude. I, I look. I have the, the <laughs> horns and everything. <laughs> That's weird. Well, I, I I have to agree with you though. I am a little jealous of some of those dudes. It's got like that very symmetrical round head, and then when they shave it, and then they have this like really long beard. I can't even do that because you know it's like the scar tissue yeah, right yeah. here. I, don't, I can't grow uh, uh, whiskers there. So this morning it looked kind of cool. I had like this two three day you know little gray salt and pepper thing going on, and it looks good. But after that, I have like a, I don't know, like a Harvey Two-Face Batman character yeah. thing going on. Yeah. And uh, and it just don't feel right, you know? So I got some <laughs> weird scar stuff going too. Uh, here's another thing. I noticed that when the, the salt and pepper stubble grows, starts growing in, it if you, there's a few days it makes you look like a crazy bitch. Like you, you've been drunk <laughs> and on a bent. You know what I'm talking about? As opposed to when yep. we're younger and it's all black, it doesn't, it always looks good. But then as you get older, there's that phase that you have to grow when you when the white's coming in. Like Jack Nicholson yeah. on uh, whatever crazy some white some is yeah. looks like with freaking that the some, yeah that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's like this perfect morning when you wake up and everything yes. just looks good. It's, there is that's a know? thing. I, I and it's just like one day. Though. One day, yeah, it doesn't you last. Know, maybe the next day, but you're pushing it on the next day. Yeah, you got to time that for really like good. important events, like wedding, yeah. anywhere you want to go look cool. You got to back the cat the clock up a little bit and let it mark it down. So I know that this thing's <laughs> gonna be on time. <laughs> I never thought about that, bro. That you said that—that's hilarious. And yeah, the guys who can grow the perfect beards with the ball head, f those guys, man. Who cares about them, man? Yeah. That's, just, that's not even fair. Uh, I'm jealous. I'm just gonna say it. I'm jealous. And I shouldn't be. That's not a Christian of me, but hey, you know. Whatever. I'm pretty good the way I am, though. Yeah, but yeah. Look, so a lot of people ask me about these little titanium studs in my head. Uh, they're actually for my prosthetic ears, and I feel bad that I didn't bring my ears, but I already have them packed up. I'm getting ready to go on a trip. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of people ask me, they're like, is that for your hearing? Uh, you know, is it like, like cochlear kind of stuff or something? I'm like, no, they're just really cosmetic. And then, uh, I've met this one person at the airport and I, I was delayed for whatever reason. I stopped and have some dinner and grab a drink. And uh, anyways, I could tell, I was like, 
she's cool. I really like her because she goes, oh, my God, that's so cool. I can't believe you had your ears removed. And I was thinking, oh, I didn't really wow. have a choice. How should I play this? Because I was single at the time. You know, I was thinking, you know, she's kind of freaky. I like this, you know. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know, that's some kinky shit right there. I never even thought about it. She, she, thought, she thought you had them removed. Oh, my God. That's hard. I did not have them removed. No, I know, she but I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, I was thinking, how do I play this? You know, because she had like taps and everything everywhere and had some uh, piercings, which I thought was super cool. But uh, it you is. Know, uh, when she thought that I had my ears removed, I'm like, should I be the, you know, play like this badass? Like, yeah, I didn't need them anyway, you know. All they do is block wind and rain. I don't need that crap, you know. <laughs> but then I finally told her, I was like, "Yeah, I have prosthetic ears. I even have elf ears. Uh, well, I call them Doctor Spock ears, but you know." Oh my gosh! I like oh, when you wear those all the time because when you pull them off in front of people, dude, they freak out. Oh, I bet. Oh my! Do you gosh. wear the Spock ones all the time? Because that would be cool. Yeah, I do have Spock ears. I have, uh, and it took me a little while to talk talk them into it because they were like, "You know how much these cost?" And I'm like. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, but I'm asking for Spockers. And they were like, well, you probably wouldn't even wear them. Oh, yes, and we yeah, yeah, they would. were having a hard time justifying it. And I was like, guarantee I will wear them. Probably more than I would my normal ears. Absolutely. So. That is so funny. So is you want to see them? Is yes. There, is that what you're saying? Yes, we do want to see the Spockers. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, you know how we are, man. The military guys... It's kind of like a badge. Mm -hmm. It's it's an earned thing. Like our, our the guys with the prosthetics okay. and the it was not, I'm not saying it's a competition, but it kind of is because like now with our generation, it's different. Back in the day when guys would get a splinter or they'd have a thousand surgeries to hold onto a leg that wasn't even there. Now guys will just get a cut and they'll be like, okay, you can take that leg and I want that sucker right there and and, and you can, literally it's a bat. It's almost like wearing their medals all the time. That's that's what's really going on when they walk in the room. And I am a prime example of that. When one of them suckers walks in the room, I will stand at attention because that it's a it's a level of pain that each person's gone through in the military. That's what really separates us from the other ones is the amount of pain. And those ribbons we wear on our chest denote that. And if you got somebody walking around who's always wearing their medal, like him, yes, that means something in our world. It absolutely does. And, and my question is, is there a difference when you're wearing your like hearing wise, or are those strictly for to hold your glasses up? Uh, so I actually had somebody, uh, I met an uh, audiologist out of California. Uh, the, me and him, we just hit it off, you know, like best buds kind of thing. And he asked me what one of my biggest challenges was, you know, being a burn survivor. And I told him, I said, ironically, one of my biggest challenges is my hearing loss. And uh, so he went the extra mile to make sure that I had top of the line, uh, good hearing devices with Bluetooth and everything. That's actually how I'm communicating with you guys now is uh, my hearing aid connected directly to the Bluetooth, which isn't necessarily uncommon nowadays. But uh, when I went to do the testing, he flew me all the way out to his office and we did the testing there and he did it with the ears and without the ears. And believe it or not, the ears actually do either capture or block ambient noise and it does help the hearing but just a little bit now the unfortunate part is that i have a trade-off and you know how that goes you know there's always a trade-off it seems yeah, like what i was wondering if i wear the if i wear the prosthetic ears uh often especially during the summer it get i get sweat and stuff like that you know and it gets kind of nasty and I'm, I'm very prone to infection because if these get loose in like a little bit then the body starts trying to reject it and it automatically starts putting infection stuff there or what the blood, blood cells. Because it's foreign, so right? So it's a yep. challenge. Yep. So Most people don't think about yeah, that. A, there's always a trade-off. 
Yeah, so most people don't think about that when they're when it's half in and half out. It's like having an it's still foreign to the body. And, and yeah. my question with the ocular with the with the the cochlear design of our uh, of the external ear, when you're wearing different shapes, does it give you different hearing abilities? Mm, have you have really. you track, have uh, you practiced that yet? I mean, I think it just more like blocks out the ambient stuff, you know, like uh, outside noise and. So it's not what you can hear is what hearing. you don't have to listen to. I'm just curious. I'm, I'm curious as to the shape of the ears because you're a perfect example of how this to explain this. Like with the shape of the ear, does it catch sound differently? Have you noticed that? Because you you actually have different ones. Or does it is it not that you that, that things can hear better? It's that they don't hear a bunch of stuff. They only hear what they need to hear. I'm just. Curious. I think the cartilage. Be honest. I think the cartilage actually plays a role. Uh, and so when you have just rubber up there, it. I mean, it's like I said, it blocks maybe the ambient noise, but uh, I don't know that it actually captures the noise here. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I don't really know how that works. You know what? Like I, I really I, feel like the cartilage plays a role. I never thought about that until you said that because, and I've studied medicine long enough to know kind of what we're, if I'm, what we're talking about, but your ear, the exterior ear is like an antenna. And that cartilage vibrates and catches whatever kind of vibration hits that sucker. It rattles it. And, and all that goes in through that, those three little bones in the ear and, and, and interprets that. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's I never thought about it until you said it like that. But, I mean, I don't know if that's on point, but it sounds right. So let's talk yeah. about you growing up. You said you grew up in a small town. Let's go back to hear your story. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, and, and I know that... Uh, um, I've been extremely blessed. I'm just going to go ahead and say that, but uh, I'm going to start with telling you a good Texas story and it kind of involves the ears, but it also involves, I guess, getting to know me a little bit too. So uh, I grew up in a small town called McKamey, Texas, when I was younger, up until about middle school. And then I moved to Coleman, Texas, which is over by Abilene. And uh, so West Texas versus Central Texas, you know, there's a, a stark difference. Huge. Um, but I, I love different worlds. I know that's right. And you know, that's, that's actually really unique because Texas seems to have like all these different climates and regions that, you know, it, it just brings it all together. It's like, you can drive a couple hours and be in that? the desert and yeah. drive a couple hours in the opposite direction and be on the coast. So, uh, well, I say a couple hours, we know that's not true. You know, it's yeah. like five, six hours. Yeah, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a couple but in Texas. Anyway. So, uh, one of the trips I got invited out to McKamey and I knew that I was going out there to the desert well, me being a burn guy, I have a hard time regulating my body temperature because the scar tissue acts like wearing a jacket all the time. It just doesn't breathe. And I have a tendency to overheat and get sick. So on my trip out there, I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop and get me a cowboy hat today. You know, it helped keep the sun off of me. Uh, but I also, I noticed that I had my cowboy boots on, had my belt buckle on. Felt kind of cool, you know, going home for a change. And uh, I was like, I'm going to get me a hat. Well, I stopped at the Western Wear store out there. You probably know them, Woods Boots. You know Woods Boots out there in Odessa or along that area? I don't. No, I don't. Oh, man. I love Woods Boots. A lot of people know it. It's a, if you get to Colorado City, there's one that actually looks like a fort that's got the wooden post and everything. It looks so cool. Anyway, so uh, I had planned on stopping there, but I didn't make that one. Got into Odessa, and I was about to meet my friends. Went to the Western Wear store, and I told the little girl, I want to get a hat, but I don't know what size my head is. And I said, let's just start small and work our way up. Like, my head, it really isn't that big. And uh, anyway, so she brought over a couple of hats. The first hat she handed me, 
and it was like a child's hat had the elastic band in it and of course it just barely sat on the crown of my head that's not it well i was pulling that one off well she had that other hat she had another hat in her hand and i think like a good salesperson she figured she could just size me up right well she set that hat up there and popped it down well, when she did, both my ears popped off. Oh, my god! They gosh. hit the floor, and they were bouncing around. <laughs> bro. And I hadn't had my ears very long, bro. I like to die. Are you kidding me? I was so embarrassed. <laughs> you were embarrassed? Oh, I don't even worry about you, bro. What What would she do? <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's a good story. Too. I so, know you're good. <laughs> so, you know, and you know, San Antonio, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad because a lot of guys and gals went through their recovery there, missing legs and arms yeah, yeah. and everything else, you know. And so San Antonio was kind of used to seeing guys like me. And uh, anyway, but there I am in this Western horror store out in West Texas. And you're right. I was putting myself back together because I look like a hot mess. Good one. Come on. I, got, I, I got you, man. I, bro, I thought I was Superman. Good job. <laughs> So anyway, I'm grabbing my ears and I'm putting them back on. And uh, anyway, I, I was bent over a little bit. I looked up and that little girl was just like, you know, I mean, we scared her to death. I scared her to death and I didn't mean to. And I didn't even know what to say, man. I mean, this I hadn't had my ears probably about two weeks at this time. And I honestly, I don't know. When I wear my ears, I feel like I got a, a lot of wind drag. I mean, it's like walking around with all kinds of wind drag. So when I'm like this, I'm really aerodynamic. I have to be careful not to, you know, walk past two people, you know, to walk past people too fast. They'll think I'm a, a speedster or something. But anyway, uh, uh, I put my ears back on and I could see that the little girl was just speechless, right? I didn't even know what to say. So the first thing that came to my mind was, I bet that happens a lot to you, right? <laughs> nice. She's not having a bro. Nice. Is, this the, is this the same speechless. store that's off uh, No Country for Old Men? Have you seen that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that it? Do no, you know? It, that would be a good uh, example. It looked like that out there in West Texas. Uh, okay, so I know that one. I, I, um, I'll have to look that up, man. They're going to bust my ass for not knowing a freaking store in Texas. Cowboy boots <laughs> that man. is so funny. So did she cry? Because I think I would have cried. Well, I, I could see that she was speechless and she didn't know what to say. So I just let her off the hook. I was like, you know, maybe I'll just look around. So I didn't get a hat that day, which is actually one of the questions a lot of people ask me. They're like, well, did you get the hat? And I'm like, I did not get the hat. It was just didn't seem appropriate because for one, maybe I needed to order smaller ears. I didn't know. You know, <laughs> this is my first time having ears in quite a while. Well, I guess like, I'll be back. I'm telling my buddies about it. One of my buddies is a, a Baptist preacher. The other one. He's a Vietnam veteran, and he was the one that coordinated the veteran event that we were doing. Well, I'm sitting there, and, and you know how we poke fun at each other being veterans, you know, like kind of like you were talking about the badge, uh, you know, but at the same time, one of our coping mechanisms is a bit of a dark humor. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, Vietnam veteran, though, he was the one consoling me. I uh -huh. figured it'd be the Baptist preacher, but the Baptist preacher looked at me and he goes, dude, you could have got a free hat. <laughs> I was like, What? And he said, bro, when your ears fell off, you should have grabbed your head and went, ah! Right? <laughs> and, and hauled ass out of there. <laughs> and then hauled ass yeah, out of there. I was like, hey, like, instead of getting a bigger hat, I decided to go change the size of my ears. Hit her, hit her with that next time you walk in and just see the look on her face, man. Well, speaking that, of the size the of the ear, the day that I went to get my, or get sized for my ears, the, uh, the lady was like, hey, you know, we're going to walk around and, and I'll let you look at ears. And I was thinking, what is there like a room of ears that I can pick from? No, she was actually walking me around the clinic at, at seeing if I could pick an ear off of somebody that worked there. And I was like, 
I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Oh my god! <laughs> it just felt really weird. To mimic, to so, mimic, yeah, mimic the ear. So, did they design it off of pictures of your old one, uh, like from pictures when you had your original? That's what I did. Yeah. Because I told her I was like, "Well, it'd be cool if I had my ears," but apparently, I had really big ears, so I ended up having to find a smaller set. Oh my god! Well, that's funny, man. That is so <laughs> funny. Did you look like I had? Oh yes, that toe mirrors. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm full of it today. Look like a truck with the door open. So funny, ah, bro. That's yeah. Those are the moments I'm talking about. Like if anybody yeah. was to bring those out, that's the thing with veterans. Because usually in those moments, if you're dealing with a civilian, if that was another veteran, it'd have been on. If I was there, hell, right? Like some of our guys oh, are so good at man. Some of our guys yeah. can pull some stuff like you can, and the girls can too, for sure. I was in a van one day uh, leaving Bamsey and um, there was, you know, many of us wounded warriors in there, so to speak. And everybody was missing something. And one of the guys looked around and he said, damn, he said, all of us together make like one whole man, maybe two. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Bunch of spare parts running around. Yeah. We got rooms full of them now. Oh my gosh. So growing oh up, gosh. sorry, I have to keep so, this on, on a task because yeah, of our timeline. So, Growing up, did you come from a military family? How did you know you wanted to go into the military? Now, that's a really good question. I did come from a military family. My dad and my grandfather both served. My father was a, uh, a Vietnam veteran. My grandfather served World War II, Korea, and served during Vietnam. My uh, uncles and I had various cousins and that sort of thing served throughout the military. So it was around me. Uh, the weird thing was, though, that I didn't really join until I was 27 years old. Felt like it was an opportunity missed because growing up out there in West Texas, you know, it was pretty wild. Uh, you know, my dad being a veteran, we spent a lot of time at the American Legion. Well, the Legion out there was more like a bar. And it, that was it is a bar. Where I, yeah, exactly. You know, and that's where we were. You know, we spent uh, a lot of time at the American Legion. So I grew up in a pretty rough atmosphere. But, uh, you know, I, I, again, I still feel, still feel very blessed. And I didn't let the things that the challenges and the experiences that I had then define who I was. And fortunately, you know, after 9-11, I was determined to join. I was like, you know what, whatever happens, I got to join. And I was just going to go door to door until somebody accepted me. And the uh, army, the army recruiter, he was pretty happy to see me. He was going, boy, I'm going to get this guy. No. <laughs> but yeah, my, hey, uh, how uh, good of a salesman, to... how good of a salesman are those freaking recruiters? I mean, some of them guys can talk you. Think about that. Them guys talk you into a completely changing your life. Some of them are good yeah. at that. Everyone hates them going in there, but every one of us got tagged by one of them. Think about it. Everybody bitches about them guys and gals, man, but we all got hit by them. Mine was brilliant. Oh, yeah. I, mine was one of my own. I still talk to that fool. God dang, man. We'll get off topic <laughs> quick. Yeah, I talked to my recruiter too, man. But, you know, when, I think it has a different... Um, like with me, I had a different focus, you know, when I was joining the military, I was already 27. So I had a little life experience and I was really trying to make a good choice. I wasn't, uh, really just necessarily wanting to join whatever they put in front of me. Yeah. I knew that I wanted combat arms. Uh, originally I was thinking about the infantry, you know, cause they were talking about fast promotions and that sort of thing. Uh, but honestly, I, I had considered the Navy because my grandfather was in the Navy and he absolutely loved it. Uh, unfortunately, he only spent three years in the Navy, though. He said the submarines scared the shit out of him during World War II. So uh, he submarines was like, scare anybody. Like, yeah, he said, I wanted off of ships. We went into uh, the Army, so he reclassed yeah. and uh, uh, went into armor. 
think a lot of those guys reclassed after we got back from the wars. It seemed like that's when you see a lot of those cross cross rates stuff like that. And the sub force that's for anybody who doesn't know anything about the military, <clears throat> the submarine force is the hardest duty. That's that's the hardest mm. detail in any military operation is being underwater like that. Them guys and gals, <laughs> that, guys, they don't get any. T- I think there's girls on there now, but anyways, that's the toughest detail. I was never on a submarine, but my cousin, he was a nuclear tech on a submarine. And uh, he was telling me that they offered him $50,000 to re-up when he was at the end of his contract. And he told him absolutely not because (laughs) he didn't want to go back on a sub. Okay, so they eat the best. They have the best living conditions when they're on on land, uh, even the enlisted guys. And then they eat like royalty on the sub underwater. That's the one thing you do. If you, and you get all the movies, all the new stuff is it's, it's unbelievable what they got depending on the boat, the sub that you're on, but they eat like royalty. That was the only blessing we had when we were on there. Cause when we were on there, man, Oh, they love to mess with us. They'd stick us in the torpedo racks. Anyways. Yeah. Sub force. We love you, man. <laughs> that's that, that, that dark water Navy, man. They're badass. So you were on a sub. Oh, Yes. Were you on a sub at all? Many, I figured you were. Many, many times. Right? Yeah, multiple times. Not, but, not, but not I was long. never assigned to a submarine. We were assigned to a boat, but we, the longest I ever did was almost 20 something days. That's the longest I was ever underwater. I never had to go, like, we would helo in, they'd drop us in the water, and then a submarine would literally come pick us up out in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> that's badass. That's oh, so it's badass, real badass. Man. Most people don't even know that oh, that's yeah. one of our rides, but it is. And the way we operate with them is the, probably the most hardcore joint uh operation that they do is is us with them is when they pair us up and man let me tell you something this mm-hmm. is a group the the craziest stories i ever had ever tell ever tell come from from underwater with them hands down wow hands down that place will kill you uh, quick yeah it's badass all right how many well, siblings I, you got I, you know speaking of that Speaking of that, I wanted to take a moment. I, I don't, I, even though that you and I have met, you know, here, there, and every now, every now and then, uh, I don't think that I've ever had the opportunity to tell you thank you very much for your service. And uh, I don't know if people tell you that on a regular basis. I know people tell me that sometimes because I wear my scars. And you know, for guys like you and I, you know, we're out there. I, and in my opinion, I'd say I, we're representing our our people. You know, we're trying to uh, encourage better quality of life for them, better opportunities. And that sort of thing about what we do, being out there encouraging people, hey, this is what we went through, and we're not the only ones. Uh, I just want to tell you, thank you, not just for your military and the service, but what you do now. And thank you so much, Melanie, for everything that you do to support him and and, uh, help him along in his journey and his mission. Uh, Thank you both very much for what you do. Much respect for your family. Thank you. We have the same respect for you. Thank you. My wife, it's like we talk about it. My wife makes me talk about it out loud. The greatest part about being a SEAL, being a specialist, is, is imagine I got to, to work in almost as many jobs as I possibly could in the military. It's like we, we get to learn all everyone's jobs. So we get to hang out with everybody from all different branches. That was the best part about it. Come to find out. Like when we're in, there's the bravado. And when I'd show up, you know, we'd always butt and we just kind of I'm stealing information. But then when you get out, you realize how cool that was. Mm. I don't know. It's yeah, weird. It's absolutely. Weird. It's, it's weird. You know, and, and you're right, though, because uh, I noticed that, too, like in Germany. Um, my first duty station was in Germany with the Big Red One. And when I got there, you know, everybody was kind of gripping about having to lift heavy stuff and do this and that. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Look at the size of these guns. This is like the coolest shit in the world. <laughs> you know, I'm like, working on tanks and Bradleys. I mean, who drives a tank? 
who gets to ride yeah. in a tank, you know? Who the hell drives like, a tank? This is cool. And people are like, oh, man, we got to go to the motor pool. And I'm like, bro, I want to learn every inch of this baby because I want to go out and use it. <laughs> so speaking of, let's get on to your military career. You went, you signed up with the Army with your recruiter. And did you go straight into the 10th Mountain Division or did you start somewhere else? Oh, that's another really good question. You've done this before, Melanie. I can tell. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> talking to the boss. We've got it but no, uh, that is really a good question. Uh, I, uh, I when I joined, as I said, I was 27. I knew what I was getting into, and uh, I told the armor recruiter, I said, "Man, I said, just sign me up for the max because I'm probably going to be a lifer." You know, because I, I really felt like if I can get in, I felt like it was a great opportunity. You know, some people are like, "Well, I'll test the water for like two or three years." No, I wanted in the military. I'm like, I want to join. I signed up for six, my very first contract. And uh, the only thing that I got in my contract was just that I was going to be a cab scout. I didn't get anything special because I had to have a couple of different waivers. Of course, they were like, you're lucky you're getting in the military. And you know what? For me, that was good enough because I knew what I wanted. I wanted combat arms. I wanted boots on the ground and I wanted a rifle in my hand. And that's what I got. So I joined the cavalry, went to Germany, as, a, as I said, you know, for my first duty station. And uh, after that deployment with the uh, Big Red One, which was mechanized tanks bradley's uh it was it was really an aggressive campaign we didn't see any action fight for the first two or three months but once we started working in our areas you know we started experiencing uh small arms and that sort of thing uh a few ieds but uh i guess the one of the biggest challenges from that deployment was in bakuba and they called it bloody easter or something like that and uh, anyway we yeah we were engaged pretty much for three four days straight uh ended up getting dysentery uh, because we were just like running back-to-back missions. We, long story short, um, we got attached to some guys as we were driving through. They were all light. All they had was light Humvees and uh, artillery group. And they asked if we could help. Anyway, so yeah, we helped for like four days. We were running mission, 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 just back-to-back mission. And we all looked like, you know, we'd been through it uh, by the end of that week. Uh Anyway, we finally got a hot shower and everything, and I was so damn sick. And then we had to go to the next duty station. But uh, that that deployment, man, I learned a lot. You know, I mean, it's a you know, uh, it allowed me to become a good leader to help some of those younger guys coming in. Which uh, after that deployment, I went to the 10th Mountain Division. Uh, I went there as an E5 young young leader, um, and I, I loved it, man. I I really did. The 10th Mountain Division was light infantry style. Uh, it was quite a bit of difference, you know, from uh, the mechanized, uh, but I enjoyed it just as much. We'd worked primarily around Baghdad, all that area down there in the yeah. Sunni Triangle. Oh, yeah. Uh, good area, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thought about buying some <laughs> land there when last time I was there. <laughs> and we used to joke about that all the time. We're driving through. Like, hey, there's a nice. I bet that's for sale. I'll take that palace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, those things. <laughs> the freaking palace is there, man. <laughs> You got to hand it to them, man. They can build. Like if we weren't yeah. spending most of our time fighting and tearing everything down, can you imagine what this place would look like? No, no I can't no. imagine what it looked like back in the day before, before yeah, wars and before had, had yeah, to tear that down. I really feel like it would have been beautiful. Oh know, man, because yeah. you know it's Babylon, and, uh, Iraq, man, and um, Baghdad's Babylon, and yeah. you can kind of see it there. I mean that you can see how that place could look like that, man. The way that the, some of the structures that they have now. But you're right. I remember, bro, 
the missus and I were on uh, the Truman the other day, and you know the guy who dri- the kid that drives that seventeen eighteen years old. I was like, and there's, when you said it, it's funny, it's, I got lucky to get in the military. There's nothing lucky about getting in the damn military. You're lucky to get out. Like, if you see a veteran, like that sucker's lucky. lucky right? <laughs> I was like, the average age of a, the kick-ass force that goes over is 22 to 23. That's who we are, right? And then our leaders are 25. You're an old man at 32, and then the, the, the gods and the stars, you know, that's in their 40s and stuff. You don't think about that when you're in. And the no. way I explained getting out... I was like, imagine going to, when you, as soon as you join the military, it's like walking into the gym. And then you start working out day one, week one, minute one. When you come out of the military is when you actually come out of that gym. And the, the pain and the soreness and all the aches and, and problems that you have the minute you get out, get out is how hard you worked while you were in. And it takes a while to get over that. But once you do, you can't imagine what in the hell you look like and what it built. Look what it did to us. Look what that damn gym did to me and you. Yeah. And, and that's the best way I've ever heard it explained when guys are coming out like, hey, look, man, we just been in a in the in the the war gym. The, and we <laughs> man, we barely made it out. And it's one by one. They didn't stick us all out at once. We all came came out uh one by one, man. Single file. It's crazy. So how long did you serve with the tenth mountain division? Uh, with the 10th, it was uh, probably about two, three years, uh, somewhere along in there, because I spent eight years total in the military. Uh, uh, I was my first duty station, Big Red One, so I think I was in Germany right at three years, and then so the rest of the time was at the uh, 10th Mountain Division, or I spent about two years in recovery, so, so eight, two, three, five, so about three years, about three years at the 10th as well, and two deployments, and of course, you know, on that second deployment, I was injured by a roadside bomb and you're right. You know, uh, my body, I, I feel it. You know, I feel like I came out of the gym, but after also getting an ass whooping or two. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Something extra in there for you, right? Yeah, yeah, check. <laughs> Can you tell us about uh, that? Yeah, man. Yeah, talk I'm about sorry, that. Go ahead. No, talk about it. Can you tell us about that second deployment with the 10? No, the uh, second deployment, uh, you know, I gave you a little clip of that first deployment. The uh, second deployment, like I said, was light. Um, working down there around Yusufia, Mamadia. Uh, they're not fans of us, of course, you know, and, and, you know, the first deployment, we didn't really run into a lot of people that were hostile at us. Uh, we worked with the Kurdish because we were up north around the Jabal Hammer, uh, up above Tikrit. You know, uh, Tikrit was still pretty hostile, but some of the uh, Kurdish that we worked with were super cool. Uh, and actually, you know, I want to say some of the, a lot of the people that we interacted with in Iraq, uh, I gained a lot of respect for some of those people, you know, and, uh, some of them I don't have as much respect for because if you're not willing to help yourself, then, you know, I don't have much for you in, in a sense. Um, but, uh, you know, there were a lot of good people over there that uh, took pride in their country, took pride in what they uh, did. Great people. did. They worked hard yeah, yeah. Great and people. they didn't mind us being there to help them. You know, whereas others, you know, they just seen it as an opportunity to, you know, I guess try to pick a fight with somebody. But anyway, uh, going back to working down there south of Baghdad, uh, in that area, it was extremely hostile. Therefore, the first three, four, five months that we were there, I mean, every day, literally every day, there was an IED went off in our AO somewhere, uh, our area of operation. And uh, we had several losses as far as vehicles and that sort of thing. We had a few people get uh, WIA. Uh, fortunately, no KIAs until one incident. 
And then uh, we lost a, a young man and I ended up going to replace him in that platoon. Uh, so being the replacement guy was pretty hard. Uh, but once I earned my merit, you know, we had a couple of engagements that uh, I was able to help out with, so to speak. I don't want to toot my horn on it, but, uh, you know, as I like I said, man, you know, when you get in those situations, you, you have to do what you have to do. And I feel very fortunate that we made it through it. Uh, but yeah, uh, shortly after that, uh, we were working, it was in February of 2007, we were working down in Yusufia Mamadiyah, really trying to get control of that area, because like I said, it was out of hand with IEDs. IEDs were going off all the damn time. We were having small arms fire all the time, and it was a farming area, you know? It wasn't like, it was not like being in the city, so uh, we really started working hard in that area. All the roads were named after heavy metal bounds, yeah. rightfully so. All right. You know, because it was all big IED holes all the way up and down the roads, man. It was crazy. I have a question. So do you, when you're in an area that's just littered with IEDs, do you have EOD guys with you? Yeah, we had EOD, uh, EOD out there. Yeah, you know, they were so overwhelmed with the amount of IEDs in the road. Uh, not too far I want to say between Baghdad, if I remember correctly, in between Baghdad and the area that we were working was uh, the one of the main interstates. And so they had calls out there all the time. And of course, since that was uh, where they did a lot of the log packs and uh, routes for, uh, what do you call them? Uh, I said it right, log pack, right? Yeah. What's the, isn't there another word for that? Uh, shoot, I can't remember. Uh, my military bearing, I guess I lost it for a minute. But, uh, you know, the, the, you know, convoys, there you go, convoy, that's the word I was looking for. So they'd have big convoys, you know, coming through there for whatever reason. And so they had to stay up there pretty close to that. And then the area that we were in, it was kind of secondary, so to speak, even though there were a lot of IEDs out there because they had to make sure to keep that route clear for supplies and, and dignitaries and that sort of thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, the EOD was out there. In fact, the day that I got blown up, we got a call to investigate a possible IED, and we were just going to go secure the site for the EOD. We feel like now, uh, after, you know, I've talked to some of my guys on the ground then, and I've talked to the S3, you know, my buddy that was the S3 then, he told me that uh, they probably knew where we were, and they called to give us a location down the road, knowing about where, how we would travel, and there was an IED in between us and the reported site, and we started driving down Route Metallica, favorite band, at that time, you know, and uh, my Humvee literally erupted. It was about 700 pounds of explosives buried in the road, and it literally shredded my Humvee. Three of the four Humvee doors were blown off, and the entire top of the truck was blown off. I lost three friends. I survived. My driver survived. Very fortunate for that. Originally, I, right at the beginning, I was knocked unconscious for a little bit. Uh, once I woke up, I did, well, you know, what truck commanders do. I started trying to call for a radio report. I wasn't hearing anything on the hand mic. I knew I was hurt, but I didn't know how bad, but I, I still, I could feel the flames around me. So I threw the hand mic down after I seen it. the cable was burnt completely off of it. The truck's on fire right now, right? Yeah. The truck was on fire still. And so, you know, I woke up and, uh, I could, I could feel the heat and the flames and everything. And they had already retrieved the driver. Uh, while I was unconscious, but they left me in the truck because they thought I was dead, which is the right thing to do, you know, triage. Uh, but once I started pushing on my door, the only door left on the truck, it was embedded in like that dirt and the asphalt from the explosion. 
the IED literally went off right behind the driver's seat. I don't know how it didn't kill me and the driver both, but I mean, literally right behind the driver. I, you could, I could have put my hand over it. It was incredible uh, looking at the photos and stuff. But um, anyway, um, I get out of the truck. I'm standing there and I'm just taking it all in. You know, cause I, I know I'm hurt. I just don't know how bad yet. Uh, and I start barking orders because it seems like everybody's kind of chaotic. You know, everybody seemed to be running around and they're trying to take care of Adam and Adam. He's a big guy like you, you know, and he's over there fighting and, you know, he's in shock basically, you know, I can see he's got his bones sticking out of his arm and got blood run, running everywhere. And uh, I'll start barking orders, you know, I'm like, Hey, start calling a nine line, pull security, do this, do that. And everybody just stops and they're staring at me. And I figure some of it was because for one, they thought I was dead. But later, when I first started uh, working on the book, they, one of the guys that was on the ground told me, he said, bro, he said, you survived two blocks. He said it was the, the IED originally. While I was unconscious in the vehicle and they were tended to my driver, the, uh, the AT4 cooked off and caused a fireball <laughs> inside me? the truck. What's that? What is so, that rocket? <laughs> Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Oh, the and the ID. And then they were thinking when the second blast happened, they were thinking, well, he's certainly dead now. And then there I was barking orders at everybody, you know, I I was, they probably didn't recognize me, you know, because I, I mean, the only way I know how I look was uh, once I got on the ground over there on the, and they laid me on the ground and started COS. One of my buddies came out to retrieve me uh, because the bullets inside my truck were cooking off. And while I was standing there, uh, trying to take everything in my body armor was on fire and the material was burning or melting and running down my leg. Plus it was my ammo pouches. So, you know, that was another 200 plus bullets was about to start cooking off on me. So I get that body armor off, get that off and I turn back around. And that was when he come out and grabbed me because once I took my body armor off, he knew that, you know, he had to come help me. Otherwise, I was All right, so let me get this straight. Up. They hit you with 700 pounds of TNT. They shot you with a rocket. And then they poured burning Kevlar down you and didn't kill you? Oh, maybe I'm just stubborn. <laughs> what that, the hell you got inside that thing, man? That is incredible. So an eight, say that again, an AT what? Yeah, an AT4, a law rocket. An AT4 is a rocket, it's so a, they it's a shot fire. Well, yeah, it's in there. You shoot it. It's... it's I guess was it four feet long, three feet long, or something like that. Then the, yeah, it's about four feet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we wait. shoot them individually. It's a it's a personal handheld carry. We have different levels of them. It was in the Humvee. It was in the Humvee, like and in then the back. It went off. It went off. The fire. It got real hot and cooked got off. It. So they, got it. So it means oh they exploded. Right, right behind him. That thing's designed to hit away from you and kill you. Oh my god! Yeah. And you got to keep the back blast area clear. Blah, yeah, yeah blah, all, blah. all that stuff. You right. know, so it's got that that shoots off the back. <laughs> And, and, and I know that uh, Marcus and, uh, and Morgan both probably do this. Like, well, almost all military guys do. When you're watching a, a movie and you see somebody like, oh, watch out. And they pull up like this, you know, rocket, handheld rocket. And everybody's standing behind them going, yeah, get them. And I'm like, bro, that's not real. That's not how that goes. That's not, <laughs> that's not real. <laughs> that's not real. <laughs> the best are when they'll get the videos are when they fire on the Gustav. And you see them suckers flip out of the damn from the standing position. One minute they're there, the next minute there's a big... It looks like a ninja when they throw that bomb down, the smoke comes up and they disappear. That's what happens to us. And if you fire that thing more than three times in a day, it'll literally separate your pericardial sac from your heart. 
That's what we do. Yeah. And guys fire 20 of them. Some bitches, I mean, they'll pass that thing around. That's how we get around it. My gosh. Yeah. Oh, so, the stuff. Okay. Never mind, man. Sorry. Oh, Y'all will go down here. a rabbit hole with that. I can't believe they hit you with a rocket, too. So, that's a great story, bro. Well, it cooked off. It cooked off. That's the same thing. The truck, so, you know. That's, that's what that is. Default, they shot default. you in the back of the seat. It's just like getting yeah. hit in the back of the seat with yeah. a damn law rocket. Yeah, and that didn't kill you. I know what I'm, I know what in the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm a medic. I know exactly what that is. Nope. That thing's not it's designed to, to, to detonate hundreds a hundred feet from you and kill you. Yeah, that's true. I didn't realize. Yeah, that's right. The blast area you know, on that I thing, depending on what it hit, it's a rocket. You're not supposed to shoot somebody with it. Right. You literally got shot in the back with it. That's where it was parked. Oh, oh that's pretty hardcore, uh, okay. man. I, I, was, I was about to tell another story, but I, I don't want to get sidetracked because uh, well, we I know will. we got a, don't a get me fired up, goal dude. today. That's Sorry. Uh, Wait, okay. So what happened at that point when you take your body armor off and your friend comes to help you, do you black out at that moment or what's no, next? I was, I, was awake. I was awake all the way to Baghdad. And, you know, fortunately, this is where, where I believe in divine intervention. You know, honestly, I believe that God has a purpose for me. That's one of the reasons that I'm here. You know, because uh, uh, just as you said, Marcus, you know, this is, uh, and I survived. Well, that's yeah. absolutely you know, correct. It, against all odds, I would think, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. Um, so he comes out, he grabs me, gets me on the ground. There just happened to be a helicopter coming back, a Blackhawk, a Blackhawk coming back from Baghdad and happened to be in the area when they got the call. And they had enough fuel to grab us and then take us in. So me and my driver both, uh, you know, were the only two that were injured and the only two that was left. But as I was laying on the ground, I had been asking, you know, where are my friends? Where are my soldiers? Nobody was telling me. And maybe because they didn't think that it was the right time or something, whatever the case, or maybe they just didn't know at that moment. Uh, but one of my, one of the guys was blown out of the truck into the ditch. And it looked, they said it looked like he survived for a few moments. But the other two, you know, were pretty much... I mean, yeah, anyway, um, but yeah, so uh, the helicopter comes in, I'm, I can hear it coming, and I'm starting to try to gather myself, and as you said, you know, I was probably in my 30s about that time, and I think my maturity helped. One of the conversations that I was having with my roommate, he was the acting platoon sergeant that day, and me and him were talking, and uh, he was he was like, you're going to be okay, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I feel good, you know, I'm okay, I know I'm hurt, but yeah, everything's going to work out, you know, and I'm being optimistic. And then all of a sudden I got a glimpse of what I looked like in his glasses. Mm. And I could see that my face was charred black. My hair was gone. My ears were gone. My nose was gone. I had blood running out of everything. And I started panicking. Well, in the midst of me panicking, I could tell I was panicking. And I started pushing him away. And I knew I had to start pulling myself back together. And I'm like, okay. I got to assess this situation, you know. And I remember looking at this hand and I was thinking you know, that it's got to hurt, you know, but it really wasn't hurting yet. Uh, but I had a very selfish thought when I was looking at this hand, I was thinking, I better get a day off for this. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get a lot of days off when you're in combat. Right. So a lot of people are like, bro, I bet you really were affected back. And I'm like, no, I really was. You know? that's, like, <laughs> that's a true story. I remember every time I get hurt and, and when the pain settles down, the first thought into my head always is, I get to rest for a couple of days in the hospital. <laughs> I swear that happens right? to me too. And I'm, I'm, it's comfortable because like, hey man, there's going to be people there bringing me something to eat, man. You know, I get to lay around. I, same thing. I literally think it's a day off. Huh? So like, uh, you're, oh, that, that's not an odd yeah. thought. Don't worry about that. You're good. You're, you're squared away, bro. <laughs> 
There's, there's more than one of us out there. <laughs> uh, we get on the helicopter, we get on the Black Hawk, and we're headed in. Uh, uh, my driver's with me, and we're talking. He don't know where anybody's at. He don't know where our guys are. I don't know where my guys are. So that's the only issue, you know, that we're really faced with at that moment, you know, that's bothering us. Uh, we get into the hospital at the green zone. He goes one way, I go the other. And while I'm in the OR, they're starting to cut my clothes off and scrubbing me down. And and I remember asking, and I'd been asking everybody, I'm like, where's my guys? Where's my guys? And nobody would tell me. And then all of a sudden, Adam was gone, you know, my, my driver. And I'm like, where's my driver? And they're like, oh, he's fine. He's, you know, he's, he's over in the other operating room. And uh, anyway, we're trying to put all this together. Well, the last thing I remember is uh, there was this doctor standing up above me, you know, I'm laying down on the bed or on the, the gurney, whatever it is. And they're prepping me, getting lines in me and this, that, and the other. And uh, I remember looking at him and he was like the only person that made eye contact with me, which was finally, I was like, finally, somebody made eye contact. And he's like, you'll find out where your friends are in a couple of months. I had no idea what that meant, but at that moment I was medically induced in a coma that I spent the next mm, 48 days in, I believe it was like 48 was the actual number. But as you know, and if you don't, I'm, I'll tell you, so. Uh, it's not like a light switch, you know, like, oh, I just wake up in the morning, you know, once they take you off all those meds, there's this gradual comeback. So even that whole year, I was so heavily medicated that I don't really have a timeline of events, but I have a cornerstone. There's a cornerstone of what I was faced with. And it was when they came into my hospital room and this day they said, they said, Sergeant Harris, today we want you to take 10 steps. I was like, 10 steps. I was like, man, I'm a combat soldier. I'm all in this hospital. Just getting out of bed was excruciating. The pain, it hurt in every bone, every joint, every muscle. And I was thinking, nope, I'm not doing it. And I really did quit before I started the fight. And that's what's sad about that. But I went about three days like that. There were good people coming in to talk to me, physical therapists, occupational, blah, 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 you name it, right? All these different departments. And everybody's like, we really need you to do the work. We really need you to do this. And I was thinking, nope, not going to do it. It's too hard, too painful. And then one morning, my mom came in. We were having breakfast, and she had to feed me because my arms were still out uh, in airplane splints, you know, which means my arms were literally stuck straight out. And uh, she came in, and, and she was feeding me, and we're talking. She was rubbing my feet because that was the only thing she could touch. Everything else was covered in bandages or stitches, you know, one or the other. And so you're from uh, head to toe like, covered, right? You're you're from head to like from the, from, from the movies. You're head to toe covered in white bandages with your arms flayed out. Like a mummy. Like a mummy, right? Like a mummy, exactly. Uh, uh, head all the way down to my feet. Uh, and I remember she kept telling me, she's like, "Your family needs you. Your family needs you." And I was like, "I'm here." And she's like, no, we need you to do the work. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it. Well, after she left, a few minutes later, my dad came in. And my dad, he was short, blonde-headed guy, had like these steel, cold blue eyes. And he just stands at the foot of the bed. And he's just standing there with his arms crossed looking at me. And this goes on literally for like 20, 30 seconds, you know. And he's just standing there eyeballing me. And I'm like, okay, what is it? I know you got something to say. And he kept waiting, kept drawing it out. And then all of a sudden he said, are you done, soldier? I was like, excuse me, sir? Are you done, soldier? 
and it just washed over me. I had like this just wash, like, holy crap, I'm, I'm a quitter before I even tried to start the fight. Where did my pride go? And I realized right then I was not done. And I said, no, sir, I am not. And he turned around and walked out of the room and didn't say another word and left me with my thoughts. And I was thinking, yeah, I better get back to work. <laughs> so, Father's the worst. Just think of the perspective when somebody actually asks you that question Are you done? No, I'm not. Well, then get up and get busy. Do what you're supposed to do to fix you. And I think you probably know that more than most. Oh, it's the worst. When the old man drops that on you, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Steely eyed, they just stand there and look at you. It's the worst, man. Yeah, I, well, I'm sure I remember that part. Were you married at that time? I was married. I was, and uh, she was a she's still a wonderful woman. Um, I give her a lot of kudos because she did. She worked really hard to get me through a very long, hard recovery. Uh, unfortunately, we just could never come back as a couple, you know, and we could see that. Uh, our animosity towards each other was affecting other people and uh, we made a decision, you know, and anyway, but we're still really close. We're, we're good friends. Um, we don't agree on everything, but uh, you know, for the most part, uh, we get along and we, we have an opportunity to share with each other every now and then. And I think she did this on purpose. Since me, I'm army. She married a damn Marine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I said, did you do that on purpose? But uh, I really like him too. I call him my husband in law. You know, it's a uniform. It's just a freaking, it's their freaking uniform, man. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you're, you would say your parents really were your just guiding light through all of that, even though your dad didn't do it in a loving way. He, he definitely got you out of bed. That in his fatherly way. That's, yes, fatherly that's what it's supposed way. to be. Yeah. And I'm really supposed to like Sometimes that. Sometimes we dude. need tough love. And I think that's yeah. a, actually something before we came on the air. That was something that we started talking about is, you know, the, um, how I don't want to say a lack of it nowadays, but I think in a way there is a lack of tough love. You know, people are scared to express their opinions and, and, uh, stand by their beliefs because they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or be canceled, so to speak. But there is a difference between social media bullying. And I think the things that we experienced when we were younger for the simple fact that the internet it's like it's endless possibilities of people mocking you. Whereas when you're younger, like when we were younger, we didn't have to compete with the internet, so to speak. It was like the people that were right in front of us. And then for the most part, it's like me, if I had a situation, you know, we handled it. Yeah. Just saying. Well, I mean, it, Can't I, t- I talked to a lot of our guys and some, even some team guys and they'll read something online and it says somebody talks some smack. I was like, dude, that's like watching a commercial and telling you that you're fat. So you'll buy their damn diet pill. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? It's probably not even a real damn person. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. even a real person. That's why I got yeah. it. It's just like any other game. It's our virtual game. You can jump in that sucker, and you're a player in there. You're you're an influencer. Everyone's got titles and names. Everyone wants everyone wants to get away from titles and names. And the only way you can do that is to add more names and titles. That's just the way it is. I mean, that's that's human nature. So remember what it is that we, when you're playing with it. Look, we didn't have it, no. so that's how I know. And if you're born into a world where that's always there, then it's a part of it. I I, I, I don't mm. understand. I see it. I, I can comprehend what's going on, but, you know, 
We just got to learn. How long did it take you to recover, to, to take those 10 steps? How long was it after uh, that? You know, that's, that's, that is a great follow-up because I didn't quite go there. I, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to come back with some feedback. But yeah, when my dad left, you know, and I take that back, he did say something. And when he left, when he walked out of the room, he literally just looked at me and he said, then get your ass up and start doing the work. And I did, you know, I was a, I, I had to, and it was not easy, of course, but I did turn those three steps because the first time I took a little, first time I went to take a walk, well, I mean, it was just excruciating, right? And I had three little tiny shuffles and that was it. And then when I, I, he came in and put me in perspective, I turned those three steps into 10, 10 to 20 and so on. And it wasn't easy. I mean, it took weeks, of course, weeks and maybe even a couple of months uh, but intense physical therapy, literally that was my job at the time was going back and forth to physical therapy to get my uh, mobilities back and, and start building my strength back. But, uh, once I started doing really well, um, but the recovery itself, it was probably two years, know, three years. And that was back to back surgeries, you know, uh, uh, going back and forth to the doctor almost every day, every week for sure at some point. Uh, but to date I've had about 80 surgeries. Nice. Been very blessed though. Um, wow, we actually good. celebrated that's, the 80th. That's a good one, bro. <laughs> uh, uh, it's not something that I ever wanted a record in, but, uh, you know, I feel like a nice job. You got it. That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Some of the other burn guys, though, that I went through my recovery with, man, we're talking like a hundred. Oh, so yeah. Surgeries. Oh, yeah. We got a hundred. Like, oh, my God. Those are over oh, tiers. Yeah. If you get a hundred surgeries, yeah. I like get a hundred on your test. You know what I'm talking about? And then yeah. you, they go into those 115s. You're like, you're just now you're just showing off. That mm -hmm. guy, so. Exactly. <laughs> Freaking guys. Look, guys something, man. I got to where I was doing like a, a multi department thing. So it's like if I knew I had a surgery from this department and a surgery from that department, I would try to plan it to where both the departments would be there one working up top one working down low whatever the case was uh, so that way is one recovery and i don't know if that actually helped me minimize the number of surgeries that i had um but uh, i they seemed to like the idea at first when i mentioned it they were like well, i don't know and i was like i think it'd be better you know because this isn't really going to affect that and if i'm going to be down anyway i might as well have it all done at once and then that way i have one recovery and uh, it seemed to work out pretty well so the the way they delivered me with it was the fact that this like, hey, it's not a recovery. This is your new beginning. And so and all oh, my oh, surgeries okay. were kind of like the million dollar man, Steve. Like every time I'd lay me down, whatever you're doing to me is making me stronger. I didn't come back <laughs> right. the same, right? I've been modified extensively. So um, the way I explained was pretty was pretty good too. So like so when we're first born and babies are the size they are for a reason, they can't complain, they can only scream. Is is when um, and when you get older, this comes into play too. We stop sitting, we stop sitting down on the ground. Like the furthest you'll usually go is to a chair or to your bed. Very rarely do we go all the way down. Where you lose those muscle abilities. So when you get hurt, start working out is sit down on the ground, stand up, do everything a baby and a child does because you're basically starting over. And you tighten up those muscles on the inside so your exterior muscles don't crush them. You got to think a lot of times our babies are crying because their muscles are sore. I've used them for the first time. I can't even imagine what that feels like. Oh, that's a good point. You know I what I mean? Think about that. Yeah, I didn't either until they said it to me that way. And, and yeah. I was like, okay, so when I'm not recovering, I'm starting over. Well, I'll start from scratch. I got to start by one step. I did the one step too. 
And you forget how hard it is because we jump out of bed so damn fast. Hell, in the military, you flip out of bed (laughs) or get flipped out of bed. And then you're ready to eat and run three miles. That's unbelievable. You know what I mean? Remember that? Uh, now, now uh, I always roll to my side. I have to pick myself. I've done it so many times. That it's, I'll do it in my sleep. And that's just because that was the new way I had to move. And we got, uh, when, they, when, they said, when they taught it to me like that, they were like, hey, look, man, we, we started you over. But we, we upgraded your systems. I was like, okay, roger uh, that. Cool. Well, you know, I like that. And, uh, you know, it was. It, it, you're, Melanie, when you asked how long, you know, that recovery was, it, I mean, I guess in a way it is going to be ongoing. Right. You know, probably for a lot of us, you know, like a maintenance issue, you know, going in for getting a little tune-up and getting my, my bolts tightened up. Yeah, I do, and I want to say I'm brilliant. modified too because nice I got the Nice job, bro. Frank, getting your bolts tightened up. You hear what that man just said to me? That's a good one, man. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, obviously when you're injured like that, it is a lifelong recovery in, in constant maintenance for, for the duration of your life. You'll have that. But I was just wondering while you were at BAMC, what that recovery was like, and uh, didn't you receive stem cells that was fairly new online when you were, when you were there? You're talking about the stem cell, right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the stem cell technology is a that was actually one of my dad's uh, recommendations because uh, you know big sci-fi fan here, uh, Star Wars, Trek, you know, or uh, yeah, Star Trek. And uh, anyway, my dad he was walking around the hospital and, and I don't know how he came across it, but he saw some sign that was like stem cell research department or something like that. Uh, because as you know, Bamsi is uh, one of the medical research one of the best medical research centers, uh, you know, for burn survivors and that sort of thing. Uh, but they also got the Institute for Medical Research right there on campus, and uh, they do all kinds of wonderful things. Well, uh, so the stem cell research, I talked to my doctor about it, and I was like, hey, you know, how? what's the stem cell research about? Uh, how do I go about volunteering for it? And one thing led to another, and boy, they had me in an OR because they were pretty excited. I was actually one of the very first individuals to attempt uh, regenerative growth, meaning we were trying to regrow this finger here, which it did okay, but before I, I had it removed now, but before it was like a little stubby finger, uh, you know, that was cut off and they kept applying the stem cell three different times and we tried three different things to encourage bone and tissue growth. Although they knew that they could grow tissue, a lot of it was already using regenerative tissues such as liver, heart, lung, you know, or or stuff like that, you know, that would regenerate on its own. Uh, And the stem cell just encouraged the growth faster. Well, I was doing the tissue on this finger and we had a hard time getting the bone because the tissue grew back so fast. Yet we did have some success. It grew, the bone grew uh, about, I think it was uh, an eighth of an inch. And we grew grew about a half inch of tissue. This is while you're wearing it. Um, this is you talking about on your hand. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, right here. On, so what do they? What, what's the concept? And they were hoping it that it would lead into something else. Well, how think about how hard that is. You're wearing it around while it's trying to do its experiment. What do they do now? Do they uh, do they grow it in a it lab and then either. attach it? Mm. Is that how they do it now? Do they do they grow the whole thing in the lab and then attach it? No, no. So they they were applying it to that stub, so they I would have to go in. They'd have to cut the top of it and like cone it out, right? Fill it up with uh, stem cell, 
and then, you know, covered up. The, one of the issues was, is that we couldn't get the bone to grow fast enough, or we couldn't leave the, the stem cell on it long enough without it healing in order to actually encourage. Well, the yeah. Bone were you, growth. were you moving around? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, that's, that's why they just kept it covered. Oh, no, yeah, no, they no. They just kept it covered. Yeah. So normally, it wasn't really those, functional. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have that hand immobilized for that to work. The minute you Pretty move much. that thing, it, it, it'll it'll come as a foreign object. Right. Well, then that was part of the issue too. So I had to go into the clinic almost every day, and they would check it, reapply stem cell, and that's why I said that since it was I was the first person to try it, there were trial and error, so to speak. Well, after the third surgery, I was like kind of like that, you know, talking about the mobility and stuff because I had to always keep it up. I had to keep it in a fairly comfortable position to make sure that uh, it was trying to grow and develop without disturbing it. That's unbelievable and that did that. Yeah, it, it, about it, two months of that, and I was like, I'm done. Because I was like, y'all going to have to find another guinea pig. <laughs> I'm done. I was like, I'm done. But, well, the uh, fact that it, had some mild success. Uh, well, the fact that it grew an eighth of an inch while you were manipulating it and moving it around in an environment exposed to the elements, everything the elements designed yeah. to attack it, and it still grew like that is a promising, yeah. very promising. Well, but and you didn't have that in a controlled environment. Well, the that research turned into something else, though. Uh, the doctor that was pioneering the stem cell research there, and uh, at that time, uh, was Dr. Stephen Wolf. And what they've done is they've turned it into uh, like a, a spray gel now. And instead, instead of burn survivors and other people that need to have uh, donor sites, so like taking the good skin and putting it over burn sites, they use that paste now instead of taking skin, and that uh, that paste encourages the skin growth faster. Oh, awesome. So that way they don't have to do the donor. It's only a matter of time. So that's where it comes in a oh, they, spray they, bottle. Are you kidding now. me? You get a burn, dude. You can go to the store and get a spray bottle. And <laughs> oh yeah. What? I mean, that's I where that's going. That. That's that's exactly. Once we get it, that starts happening, and you can see that. And for what you said is is on point too with Bamsi and, and it's the premier. That's because we're there. Yeah. I was like, I mean, we, yeah, it is an experimental trial and error, but and war is horrible. But you got to understand what also comes out of that. Us, yeah. we come out of that, and then our people Absolutely. in their environments try to better us because we present. They're presented with us, and and it's it's yeah. Some people look. I mean, like, hey, this is the way we advance. It's through guys like us, man. So. That's unbelievable. Absolutely. That stem cell thing with its growing while you were manipulating it was amazing. Yeah, that's really incredible. I mean, yeah, it might not have worked what the goal was for you, but by seeing how fast your tissue grew with that, they were that. able to yeah. pivot and help other people. So from now on, when there's really bad scar tissueing, they can just use... That's only a matter of time. Yeah, they can use that instead. That's crazy. I mean, you kind of want to go get an abrasion. You want to go get scuffed up. Uh, I, I, just, I was thinking the way the human body works. If you go scuff it up and you remove some unwanted part of it, and then you got that spray over and it comes back brand new. I mean, there's your use. Yeah, right I, I hadn't actually seen the end results, but uh, I, I got to looking it up one day because I, I was getting ready for an interview and I was going to try to have an article. And I come across that where it showed that they were coming out with that paste. And I was like, holy cow. And you know, that was uh, several years ago. So right. I'm sure that it's probably advanced oh, even bro, more every day. We, Melly and I uh, ran an event the other, a, a while back where this lady, she said something on stage. She goes, uh, technology will never be as slow as it is right now. Which means every second that sucker speeds up. 
Yep. And um, let's the stuff you bought last week is already obsolete. I'm sure. Right. right? <laughs> and how about like when it comes to tech, people are like, hey, what's good? Uh, should I use this? I was like, if it was built in 2015 and after, it is so high speed. <laughs> that it's unbelievable. And even the things that we would come online in the early 2000s and like, hey, yeah, is, is it good? I'm like, it's all good. It's all brilliant <laughs> stuff, man. It's just, it's just, you can see the generational uh, difference between it. It's funny, man. Well, Shiloh, what, so can you, sorry, we're, trying we kept to, you long enough, yeah, man. We're good. We're, uh, what are you doing now and how can we help promote whatever you've got going on? How can people find you? Well, thank you very much for asking. And, uh, you know, I just want to take a moment to step back to the, the stem cell. You know, I just became a yes guy. And this is going to lead into what I'm doing now. I didn't intend on being a motivational speaker. I didn't intend on being an author. I didn't intend on a lot of this stuff, you know. And in fact, early on in that recovery, you know, after my whole dad incident where he's asking me, are you done? I realized that I wasn't done, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do because, my entire business plan was stay in the military until I can retire and then get out of the military and go to work at some high speed job like FBI or CIA or something. I mean, literally that was my whole idea. That was my career plan. And then when something like this happens, you know, I had to recalibrate everything and I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know what my calling was. As I was walking around the hospital one day, I walked into um, a conference room and there was a group of people there. I thought I was, I was just looking for my doctor's office and I thought that was it. And I popped in and basically I was in front of everybody. They were all facing. And then the lady that was presenting, she turned around and she was like, Oh, are you our uh, guest speaker? And I was like, I'm not, but I can be kind of joking around. And I really was joking. <laughs> I had no idea anything about speaking. And she goes, well, do you have a couple minutes? And I'm like, I'm actually looking for my doctor's office. And I was like, I do have a few minutes. Well, we sat in there and did some Q&A. One thing led to another. They liked what I said. They liked my flow. And somebody asked me if I'd speak an event. And that is literally how it started. Yeah. That event led to another event and then another event and then another event. And I just kept saying yes, because it felt like I was serving the, the community. It felt like I was still serving, you know, my, my wounded friends that don't wear their scars the same way that I do. And, you know, there's so many times that, you know, with me having the scars on the outside and I'll be in a group of veterans and people will come up and say, thank you so much for your service. And I'm like, thank you very much. And these are my friends, you know, because I have to bring them in because I feel like that's one of my one of God's purposes for me. Um, so, yeah, I've been speaking. Uh, I authored a book and, and I didn't even know that I wanted a book, but I met a writer. Her brother was a uh, ex Green Beret. Uh, we, he, he and I got along really well. They put us together. We wrote a book called Still Will. I think, uh, I think I sent you, I might've sent you guys a copy. I'm supposed to send you a copy, um, but I'd be happy to send you a, a copy. Um, but so yeah, we wrote the book and then one thing led to another. I've done this, I've done that. And I've been so very blessed when COVID happened, you know, we lost a lot of work, of course, you know, and kind of recalibrated. So I went back to school for a little while. I've been getting into ministry. Some, I really enjoy ministry. Uh, I really enjoy religion in general for the simple fact that, as you probably know as well, faith, regardless of what it is, can get you through your worst days, your darkest moments. And one thing that I really like about Team Never Quit is because Team Never Quit and what the Latrell family stands for is exactly what my dad told me or what he asked me. Are you done? 
soldier. And I think that that's the question that all of us that have ever donned a uniform should ask ourselves, are we done? Are we really done right now? What happened to your pride? What happened to your mission? What happened to your calling? Are you going out there and living your best life? That's the question that I think that everybody needs to ask themselves is, am I done in this moment? But I can tell you, and I know that you can too, from Team Never Quit, you're not done. And if you can't quit. You have to keep pushing forward. Yeah. Well Brett, said. Yeah. Thank you so much, brother, for coming on and talking to everybody. I, I have two follow-up questions that I just, I'm out of pure curiosity. Is your dad still alive? No. No. Oh, I'm so sorry. And what happened okay. to... Good question, though. What happened to Adam? I love Adam to death. And much, much respect. Uh, he came to visit me a couple of times. And then uh, one of the recent times that we spoke, uh, he said, Shiloh, he said, I love you. He said, uh, but I need my space. He said, I'm trying to, I'm trying to leave all that behind me. Cause he was a young guy, you know, he came straight out of high school, got his TA 50, got sent to Iraq. A couple of months later, he's blown up and he's got to figure out, you know, what the hell he's going to do with the rest of his life. Young guy. And you know, and I, I he get banged up pretty bad. He get, he get burned up pretty bad. Mm, yeah. He got banged up pretty good. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of challenges that he had. Uh, it's not for me to talk about those. That's, yeah. that's his personal stuff. But, you know, he did. He had he had some injuries, you know, and uh, challenges that he had to face. And he's in a good place right now. Oh, good. And that's all that matters to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing right, your story. Enjoy the rest of it. Yes. We'll be in touch, man. Thank you, God guys. God bless you. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, Shiloh. Bye-bye. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.